Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and yeah, we're going to celebrate 17 years. Woo! That's right. Believe me, it's something to celebrate. Um, we're going to have a not just donuts, but this is going to be a monumental extravaganza of, oh yeah, I'm talking about it. You can eat so much, you will not need to eat the rest of the day. There will be food lining the sidewalks out to 17 to Oak Street behind us. Why'd you doubt me? Smoked hams will be hanging. No, just there will be lots of food, and uh, there's going to be a lot of food. And so, what we would love for you to do is bring someone with you, and hang out in between the services too. Get to know folks from uh, first or third service, and run into them, and uh, just hang out. Let's celebrate. And I want to. I want to say this, too, about baptisms. Uh, we're going to continue to do them in the ocean during the summertime. But I'm so grateful for this because we want to celebrate people coming to Christ in their new life uh, all throughout the year. So now when the water gets down to almost 40 degrees around here on the really cold winters, now we can come in here and you, you won't need a wetsuit to get baptized. And so there you go. So I'm stoked about that and excited that the first time we do that is going to be during the worship of the worship night next week. So come back and join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. Well, we're in a series called Why My Life Matters. And today we're going to talk about why your life matters to your church. But the first question I think that needs to be asked, especially since it's coming up on our 17th church birthday, is that why church anyway? That's a a good, good question. Karen and I ask ourselves this for months before we launch this. My wife and I and uh, we did have, we had no one except us. And then about uh, a month out from when we started this church, the little, you know, Lord brought a couple of people along. I drafted every musician I knew at the beach, borrowed equipment from the music stores of the people I knew around here. God just provided in every way. Um, but why start a church? Doesn't it look like there's plenty of churches? I mean, don't we have enough churches and nobody goes to them? Why do we need another church? I have journaled through all of that. And the fact of the matter is, really, if you do the math, you don't have enough churches. There's not enough to hold uh, everyone if everyone decided and everyone uh, suddenly responded to the gracious call of God on their life. There would not be enough churches. And besides, there's just not enough churches like you like or someone else wants to go to and so uh, the best way one of the huge reasons for even beginning or planting churches is it's the number one way that new believers come to Christ is when a new church is birthed people want to check it out and find out what's going on and so but here's a question why do you even go to church and the room went silent (laughs) why do you even go to church now this is a place you can be honest. You hear me say that all the time, right? So here's what I want you to do. you got somebody around you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, why do you go to church? Go ahead. Give the answer. Honest. Go ahead. Ask. 
Oh, this is a lively group here. <laughs> In the first service, uh, service this morning, I heard a, a guy say, my wife makes me go. <laughs> Probably somebody else has already said that. Way to go, wife. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, recently, I read uh, uh, author Peter Haas, and if you want to check his web page out, it's pretty interesting. H a a s PeterHaas.org. But he had a um, he had one of his blogs there. It was five statistical benefits for those who attend church. And uh, so, if you don't have a reason except that your wife made you come, uh, let me let me give you some reasons this morning. One, he said, was significantly lower risk of depression. 22% churchgoers have 22% less depression than non-churchgoers. Uh, number two, better time and life management. I don't know. I don't, you know, maybe it helps focus. I'm not sure. Maybe they get teaching on, on things like this, but better time and life management. Number three, better grades. So you parents are going, yes, see, I told you why you're going to find kids, you know. Better grades, higher education prospects. That's higher math scores, reading scores, and greater educational aspirations uh, from those that attend church. Number four, significantly lower risk of death, longer life expectancy. Now, mortality rate is still 100%, okay? Because if you go to church, I'm not promising you, if you enjoy going to church, you will not die, okay? So, not going to happen. But... Here's what it says. Uh, those who go to church more than once a week enjoy better health than those who attend only once a week. Overall, the reduction in mortality attributable to church going is 25%. That's pretty good. And the last one, I want to be very careful about this one, how, how I say this one. Better sex lives. Better sex lives. Now, I'm, yeah, finally, somebody. Thank you for breaking this ice in church. Uh, so I'm just going to read it like uh, Mr. Haas has on his, on his webpage, okay? <clears throat> Let me turn around so I won't blush on this one. <laughs> Dramatically higher rates of the big O in women who attend church services religiously from a University of Chicago study backed up over time from a 1940 Stanford University and a 1970 Red Book survey and also a USA Today uh, article called Revenge of the Church Lady. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, if you want a reason for coming to church regularly, better health, better management of time, better grades, longer life, and a better sex life. Now, hey, all right, let's go home. Let's, get, let's stand for the closing prayer. And, uh, you know, I could really have some fun with those five and mixing them up right now, but I'm not going to go there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so why does your life matter to your church? Why even come to a local church? Why, some of you probably have been attending, but you haven't really what you call become a part of the community yet. You're not serving yet. Why become a part of the church? And does it really make a difference in your life? Does it make a difference in anyone's life if you become an active member in a local assembly? That's what we want to talk about. And we're going to be over in Romans 16, just like I've been for this whole series. We talked about uh, your life mattering to your family and friends. Last week, we talked about why your life matters to your work. 
and today why your life matters to your church. And then next week, we're going to talk about why your church matters to life along the Grand Strand. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into this. Father, thank you that we can laugh this morning. Thank you so much. I thank you for a local church that has a sense of humor, doesn't take itself uh, too seriously at times, Lord. Uh, But at the same time, we know we have a sober call to take your message, to be uh, representatives, Lord, of of you and your love for your creation. So I thank you for this church. In reflection and in looking ahead to, I thank you, God, for the gift that this church has been. Uh, And, Lord, we ask your help today as we talk about the local church being a part of it. And I need your help. I ask for you to uh, to pour your spirit out on me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Just fill me, Lord. Give me the gift of teaching. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Uh, I believe your local church is a family. It's a place of fun and faith and commission, and so, Lord, I I pray that that spirit would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a good question in this Romans 16 chapter, if you've got your Bible, and you should be somewhat aware of it now, since we've been in it for three weeks, is that there's just a list of names that Paul just goes down. Paul was the leader in the early church, and he's writing a letter to the Roman Christians. He's writing from a town called Corinth, And so he ends this letter with a shout-out to all of the people that have meant so much to him and his planting churches and to the churches that he's been involved in. And so as you make your way through this, it's kind of like if you open up the directory in a local church and you want to see who's been doing what, that's what Romans 16 is. It's, It's Paul's ways of giving accolades to the people who have contributed the most. And he's wanting the people in Rome to know as well, that these people have gotten the job done when it comes to planting churches, when it comes to taking care of the local church. Here's the people that you want to take notice of. And the question, when I, when I read this, I always want to go, would my name be on there? If, if, if I had lived back then, if I had hung out with Paul, would, would my name be on this list somewhere? And I think that's a good question for us to ask even now. If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're serious about your faith, and be a part of a local assembly. The question is, where would I fit in here? What part would I play? And, uh, you know, the church was Jesus' idea. It wasn't like a group of people just got together one day and said, hey, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, let's form a club. It just wasn't like that. And we'll have T-shirts and we'll do things like that. It, it, it was Jesus said, I will build my church. I mean, the church is his. It belongs to him. He's the senior pastor. Jesus is. He said, I will build my church. And then he says this about the church. He says, even the gates of hell, the dark forces, the devil, Satan, will not prevail against my church. Though the devil and all kinds of evil will come against it down through time and try to destroy it and try to dismantle it, not only is it not going to destroy it, it will not, they will not stop the church from growing and moving and coming and taking, uh, being a, an influence in the whole world for my namesake. Started with what? About 11, 12 of them together, and then it grew as uh, some more people gathered. And by the time Jesus has rose from the dead and he's standing there, uh, you know, he 
what he was with 500 or so, he was with the 12, he was with another group. He gets ready to leave and he tells that group of 120, he says, go to this room and pray. Don't leave that room until the Holy Spirit comes, till the presence of God comes and falls upon you, till you know that God is in you and that his power is in you in order to work through you as you go out into this earth. Don't leave that room until you're sure the Holy Spirit is in you. And so they did. They went to the upper room and they waited 120 and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then this power and this commissioning, I mean, it was like an explosion in their life, pushed them out into the streets. And Peter, the guy who had just not too many weeks earlier had refused that he said he didn't even know Jesus, preaches his first sermon. The guy who is always putting his foot in his mouth with everything he says. He preaches his first First sermon and 3,000 people become followers of Christ. The church goes from 120 to 3,120. Bang. And then just a chapter or so over, 2,000 more. You're at 5,000, right? And if you look, read the studies and uh, you see that the church, that's a big start. But it starts kind of slow and it begins to build. And within about 50, 75, 80 years, it starts picking up momentum. And as we said a few weeks ago, they didn't even have the New Testament. They were living it out at that time. 200 years, 240 years, 300 years, the New Testament is written and comes to them. And then, bang, they're on the scene now. There's billions and billions of Christians. And as I said last week, Africa alone will have 2 billion Christians in it, probably within 20 years. The church of Jesus Christ, I'm not worried about it as far as it's surviving. I'm not worried about it. Some people, oh, the church is never, yeah, it's over, it's over, oh, it's over. You know, in America, people, some, they get like that. Jesus has got a church, and he's good at taking care of it, and he's good at growing it. But it does take us being a part of it. He uses us. What an invitation to be a part of what God is doing on the church. You have a fill-in in your handout that we I use every week just to kind of stay focused and uh, and to give you something maybe to take with you to discuss at home or at lunch after church. And over in Romans 16.2, uh, let's just read the first part of this, even the first verse. Uh, Romans 16.1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. That's all right. Go ahead, ladies. Give a shout out. to Phoebe, yeah, I'm up with that. That's good. All right. That's all right. Come on. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Your first feeling is this. Your life matters to your church as a benefactor, as a benefactor. Phoebe was a deacon. She was a, you know, Jesus was a deacon. Did you know that? Deacon... Some of us, you're raising it, well, not necessarily just the South, but you hear the word deacon. I always thought about a bunch of guys sitting out behind a Baptist church smoking cigarettes. That's why I just, <laughs> I don't know. I know. Sorry. Uh, but, but deacon here is not a capital D. It's a little d. Every time you see it in the scriptures, it's a little d. It's a job description. Just like elder is little e. It's not like we get, I mean, we humans, we have to have these titles where they're huge and they're big and we care about that. But what we read in the Bible are job descriptions. Phoebe was a servant, diakonos, a deacon. She was a servant serving the local church, serving Paul, 
ministry and planning churches, doing what he could. And she obviously was giving a lot. Do you know what benefactor means? Somebody going to give me a definition? It means a person who gives money, time, or support to a person or a cause. And Phoebe had done a really good job of giving herself and giving whatever she had to the cause of Christ and the churches that Paul was trying to plant. It's a patron, someone that assists many, helpful to many, proved to be a respected leader for many others. It could be a description of someone that uh, was financially well-to-do who allowed a group to meet in their home. It could mean that, uh, that this person might have had some authority somewhere and she used it in order to benefit the work of Christ, a benefactor. No church, no church grows, no church has an impact in its community or in the world without benefactors. Are you a benefactor? This church wouldn't be here 17 years later if it was not for benefactors. When we first started this, um, we had $300 in the bank, period. That was our money, not the church's. $300 when we started this church. And so we needed some benefactors, to say the least. (laughs) And Henry and Lynn Brock, a wonderful couple up in North Myrtle Beach who owned a Myrtle Beach Christian retreat, heard that we were going to start a church and came to me and said, you can have the retreat center to meet in. You can have our our, uh, cafeteria, a little narrow place, you know, where the buffet line's out. That, uh, said, you can have it free to meet in. And we're going to build a metal building behind here that you can have that for a while too free so you can get up off the ground. And so Henry and Lynn were benefactors to us. They gave us a place to meet. They financially supported the work uh, until we got other benefactors in who came alongside and said, let us give, let us take part, let us take some responsibility for what you want to do. And, and eventually we were able to move out and find a bigger space. And eventually, because of other benefactors, we were able to find a bigger space. And if the future keeps going like we think it will, we will find a bigger space. And, uh, and that's why there's three services now. And uh, so... The church, if you're a benefactor in the church, your life counts. It makes a difference. It, this church would not be here without benefactors, without people who cared enough to give, to give money. Yes, money. It takes money to run a church. I know God doesn't need your money. No, he doesn't, but the church does. Sorry. This is. I mean, you know, Eric, it's so cold in here. Thank a benefactor. So cold. You know, those donuts are really good. Thank a benefactor. All that food next week, thank a benefactor. Someone who cares, someone who gives. And Phoebe obviously had a great reputation, this woman. And she's the first one mentioned in this list by Paul that, hey, if she comes to your area, you give her all the support you can. One of our church plants up the road in Shalote in North Carolina, if uh, if someone like Jenny Stanley, who heads up our hospitality area, if Lucas needed some help, and I said, look, I, we're going to get Jenny to come up there and help you organize your hospitality team, I would write to him and go, 
Give her all the support you can because she has given so much to this church and been such a part of this church. When she gets there, you give her anything she needs to get the job done. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. And matter of fact, I want Jenny to come up and I asked her this week. I said, Jenny, why do you serve in this church? And, uh, and so I want her to share just briefly. It's Jenny Stanley, wonderful. Oh, my goodness. That was something, wasn't it? Hey, I'm Jenny Stanley, known as the coffee and donut lady. A kid came up to me a while ago, and they said, are you the donut lady? And I, that's the truth. Um, I spoke to Tim this morning, and said, I'll try not to cry on this one, Tim. I spoke at 8.30. I just, just lost it. Um, he, I told him that I'd never been asked why I serve. I really haven't. I never thought about it. So when he asked me a couple of days ago, I really have thought about it. Why do I serve? I think we all serve in different ways. We all have gifting. We all have our own the, the talents that God's given us, and we're using it here. But when I listed a few things on these little yellow sheets, I had just, fi- sorry, I just finished reading, and it's in God's Timing, Follow Me by David Platt. And in it, he says, if you love the church, you're going to serve the church because you serve what you love. So that was first on my list. Second thing on my list was I love Jesus. And Tim just said that Jesus designed all this. Uh, He did it without us, but it sure is nice to go along with him. And then he's equipped us. The word says that we are all equipped for ministry. And when I was younger, I I may not have bought into that, and I didn't believe it. But as I get older and wiser... I really do believe that if we believe in Jesus Christ and we decide that we're going to be followers of Christ, that whether we do donuts and coffee or clean the kitchen or count the money or sing in the praise band or welcome at the door, that's our gifting, that's our part. Um, Coffee and donuts, for me, the reason I said yes is because it is, and I've said this in our meetings, it's because it is a mission field. It it really is. It brings people in, and then you have the opportunity to greet and meet and, and worship with them. So part of the reason I looked at the question why I serve, I think even the better question is, Phoebe served, and I kept wondering about her. I'd pray I'd be a Phoebe in that day and time. I pray I'm a Phoebe in this day and time. Yes. But my question at the end, after I listed all my stuff, was why wouldn't I? Hmm. Just why wouldn't I? Hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> and that's Dr. Jenny Stanley there. We got a lot of PhDs and MDs running around here serving. It's awesome. If you watch Jenny gather with her team, um, I come in early in the mornings and I just—it's—it's it's not just a pep rally. It's asking the Lord just to drop His Spirit in on them so that they can touch your life and serve you in some way. And 
what does it you know what does it mean to be a member and how do you even know if you're a member of a church I, this definition is about the best I've seen and this is from a guy named Alexander Venter I think he's in a vineyard in South um, uh, Africa this book called Doing Church that he wrote. He says, you're a member to the extent that you connect with others on the same journey towards the center, seeking to live out a common set of values together. Your commitment is measured by the direction in which you are traveling. Are you moving toward the center with us? If you are, then commitment means loving and sharing through taking responsibility within relationships and continuing the journey together. Because a lot of us in church, we, we just kind of move horizontally, don't we? We just move back and forth. If it's a big circle, if the church is a circle, and Jesus is the center, and the values of our local church is the center, and our mission is the center, we come in and we enjoy the donuts, but we kind of move like this, just back and forth, but we're not moving closer. How do you know if you're a member? When you start doing this and you start doing this, you start moving into the center with others as you move toward Christ and you move toward serving that local church. Then you know I am an active member of that group as we go together. Those are people like benefactors, like Phoebe, a hardworking deacon. And a good question is to ask yourself, how are you a benefactor? How am I? What do, what do I do? How do I participate? You're going to hear a lot next week about... Uh, the 17 years and where we're headed in the future. We're going to be celebrating a lot of things, and I won't go through them all today, but there's so much room, and we need more benefactors, more folks who would give, yes, money, more who would give their time, their talents, uh, their energy. Uh, we're, we're not stuck in some paradigm here at the Vineyard. We're open. You know, if you've got a good idea and it fits the values that we have, we want to know about it. Form a team and let's get to it as long as it fits into the paradigm of, you know, into the, our values and let's get going. We'll go. So benefactors mean a lot. Uh, your second fill-in is this. Look at Priscilla and Aquila, verses 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. What a cool, t- cool couple, huh? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I... But all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Well, what a couple. Now, Priscilla, obviously, the wife, and Aquila, the husband. And again, very interesting that the wife would be mentioned first because in this culture, it would be the husband normally, but Paul puts her first. Could be conveying that indeed she was the leader in what they did, and the husband was a partner along with her, and she was leading in that area of ministry as a co-worker with Paul. And uh, so I didn't hear it for the women just then. What the Jeez, come on, don't, don't, don't lose me now. Come on, let's, let's go now. She could have been the primary leader. You know, every successful endeavor requires those who are fully committed, and that's what a co-worker is. A co-worker is someone who is right alongside, yoked in with you. And on these teams, each of these teams in the church, all have to have co-workers, people who are yoked in alongside maybe the primary leader, who are willing to stick their neck out, which the King James Version, I think, does use this. Basically, it's, it's someone who will stick their neck out. And if yours gets lopped up, 
lopped off, theirs will too, but they're willing to grab a hold of you and stick their neck out right with you. That's a coworker. Every church has to have coworkers. They have to have people who, who go, I'm with you. I'll step into this. I'm going to stick my neck out. If we lose it, we lose it, but we're both going to lose. You know, when we got this building, the elders had to sign off on the money for this. They stuck their neck out with me. And you know, if you're in this for any length of time, you have to stick your neck out. Someone has to sign. Someone has to be responsible. Someone says, we're going to see that it works. When we renovated, what was it, Baylor's 30 days we had to renovate this place, I think it was, to get in. We moved in on one Sunday into this building. Baylor's, Spivey, stuck his neck out and was here every single day supervising the construction that went on. Somebody has to stick their neck out. And Priscilla and Aquila were that kind of couple that they came alongside Paul and said, Paul, with this message of Christ and you planting these churches, if it costs you your life, it will cost us our lives. And it was, seems to be the wife leading the way. Wives can get you in trouble, can't they, husbands? I mean, imagine Aquila. Imagine Aquila going, you said what? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sure Aquila was right on. Co-workers. The 830 service, which we've been going about a year now with it. That takes some putting your neck out to get here at 7 in the morning to get set up and and you guys showing up and serving every church needs co-workers someone to come along and shoulder it it needs benefactors someone that will finance and give and give of their time and someone who takes it seriously and is willing to suffer loss with you and I'll just say that to those of you who are young or if you're beginning a new endeavor in your life a business, or you know you need co-workers with you. You pray for those that will come alongside of you and will stand with you and go, I'll stick my neck out with you. And uh, it's no different today. We still need co-workers. We still need people that will come along and say, I believe this. I believe in what the vineyard is saying and how they want to do this, how they want to reach people and liberate people, how they want to care for the poor how they want to care for the disenfranchised, how they want to reach out beyond their own walls, how they want to see the Holy Spirit come to lives who have never experienced the presence of God in their life in a dynamic way. I'm going to come alongside. Yoke me in, Tim. Let's go. Let's go together. Benefactor, co-worker, and lastly, Romans 16, 17 through 20, kind of some sober words here. Uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Paul is telling this group at the end that they should be unifiers. And a church will not stay together long, nor will it complete its mission without those in its midst who are unifiers. That is, those who have this sense of purpose to the point that unity is the fruit of their lives in the church. We have experienced such a wonderful sense of unity in this church from day one. 
Not that we haven't had our times. But the spirit of unity that you feel in this church right now has pretty much been here the whole 17 years. And that's because of you. That's because the body works at not allowing divisions and they don't put obstacles in front of one another. And if someone begins to to talk and cause problems, the body takes care of it. They don't let gossip and slander and, you know, backbiting go on in the church. They stop it right where they are. Uh, A guy told me years ago he had this one person coming to him complaining about the church constantly and he was complaining about one of the pastors at the church and uh, he said finally he got tired of it so he pulled his phone out and while the guy was complaining about the guy he starts dialing and the guy says what are you doing he says I'm calling I'm calling someone he said who are you calling he says that guy and uh, he said that guy he says yeah I want you to talk to him he goes no 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 I don't want to talk to him I just want to talk about him you know, I just want to tell you about him and so the guy goes, no, hold on. So he calls him, hands the phone. He says, he's got some things. He's been telling me some things about you here. Uh, he, he, he wants to talk to you and made him talk to him. Now, that's someone who wants unity in the church. That's someone who is not going to let it go any further than right here. And that's how a church gets work done is because they, factions don't get into it. Backbiting, it may flare up a little bit because we're human. We do things we shouldn't. We say things we shouldn't. But the church comes along and because it's healthy, it deals with it on its own. And there's a unity in the church. And uh, that way the church can keep its focus on the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing and not get pulled off on some other things that just, you know, that maybe the enemy would use to distract and sidetrack a church from getting the work of the gospel done. And so benefactor gives and a coworker comes alongside, sticks their neck out, uh, with, the, with the leaders and with the mission of the church. And then there are unifiers within the church, those who bring it, kind of coagulate and coalesce the church together and sees that there's not factions and sees that everything is focused in the right direction. So there's this healthy, erratic spirit in the church so that we can move together and laugh like we just did and have fun together and there's no like underlying things going on and all of that. We can, we can have a pure love for one another. That's a wonderful church, and that's the church that you guys are a part of, and that's why your life matters. When you find yourself ministering in one of those areas, your life matters, not just to the church, but to this church, this church. Now, we are the better for it, and I believe the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God is the better for it. Jesus gave us the example, didn't he? He's the benefactor. Did he not give everything he had? He gave it all, didn't he, for us. That's how committed he was. He is our benefactor. And then what does he do? He calls us to come along. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come on over and get yoked with me. Be my co-worker. Wait in that upper room till you're filled with the presence of God. And then I want you to go. And remember, you're never alone. I'm always with you, even to the ends of the world. Co-worker with Jesus. And the unifier? Wow. Just listen to this in uh, John 17. My prayer, this is Jesus, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me 
through their message, talking about us now, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See why unity is so important? I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You matter to your church. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.